Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated by the people behind these organizations, where they come from and what drives them forward. For season five, we're moving into the world of Web3 and speaking to the people who are putting communities first in order to manifest a more equitable and decentralized future. In this episode, I catch up with Nathan Schneider, professor of media studies at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Nathan has authored books on cooperative enterprise and the open internet, as well as the widely circulated Exit Community which is a playbook for how you can put ownership back in the hands of your community. This was recorded live in the Protein Discord, so to find out more about what our community is up to, make sure you follow our socials or visit protein.xyz. Yeah, where should we start? Well, let's start with geographical. Where where are you actually today? I'm just in a regular old Boulder, Colorado in my office at the University of of Colorado here in the basement, uh, <laughs> hiding from the world as I try to do as much as I can. <laughs> okay, I can, I can, I can, I can start to visualize that now. That 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 feels good. Um, just as a small point, again, maybe of housekeeping, uh, we like to keep our language as accessible as possible. I I know you do too. Um, so you know, we you know, if there's any sort of acronyms, you know, we're trying to keep them sort of you know, open um, and. Uh, and I guess with that, um, you know, the word community to us, we would actually classify that as a dirty word. Um, you know, it's a word that's kind of been used so much, it's it's losing all meaning. Um, so maybe Nathan, for you as an opener, sort of how would you how would you define the word community? Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you, and that's why I use it. It is a word that defies definition in a lot of ways and is that floats around and bounces off walls and and that's that's the point here um the you know when i use community it's it's in order to draw you know draw in in a new conversation rather than to say okay we have a specific model that works in this specific way that we want to draw really clean lines around Um, so for instance um another word that you know, I used that you mentioned earlier is cooperative, mm-hmm. right? And that's a specific, like often in in, um, in certain legal jurisdictions, like you actually can get in legal trouble if you call your company a co-op or a cooperative, and it's not actually that. Um, it's uh, a way of incorporating a business. It's a specific movement that has a global organization that defines what a cooperative is. Um, so that's a specific thing. Um, community is a word I use because we all have some image in our minds of what community means to us. And that it's that that I'm trying to evoke by talking about community and asking people, okay, would it look like for your community um, to you know be the owners, to be in charge, to have real power in the things that affect you? your lives, whatever form that takes. So I really think of, you know, for instance, something like exit to community as more of a conversation starter than a solution or a model that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to, um, uh, you know, put forward or define. Mm. Yeah. And just, just on the exit to community, we'd love to know, uh, yeah, we will come to the the content, um, but I would love to know, I guess, sort of the pre-read or what was that? I don't know, itch that you were looking to scratch or that frustration that that drove you to, you know, articulating the the piece exit to community. So by that point, I'd been working with cooperatives, you know, as I mentioned earlier, for for years, helping to get cooperatives going. These are businesses that are owned and governed by the people they they who use them that might be workers or or consumers or uh, small businesses uh, or some combination of those, and you know it's a it's a movement that goes back you know in its modern form, you know 150 more years, um, and I'd been 
working to try to build, bring this model into the online economy with a bunch of collaborators under the umbrella of what's called platform cooperativism. Uh, just trying to enable online platforms to uh, have this kind of cooperative model. But at, you know, as I was working uh, on trying to support people doing this, um, it, it became clear also that there are a lot of cases where there was an opportunity for shared ownership for that kind of economic democracy that maybe wouldn't be able to fit, at least right now, um, in the cooperative box, you know, where, where the particulars of the cooperative model might just not work, but you can still do some really great things with with shared ownership. So um, I decided to, to step back a bit and figure out can, how can we kind of graft some of these lessons from the cooperative movement and bring them into where, you know, the kind of startup or you know where the online economy is right now and broaden our range of options and this was also emerging from seeing a bunch of people um, for instance groups like um, purpose uh, which is in germany in the us and um, a few other organizations that were experimenting with new forms of shared ownership and and i wanted to you know to make to, to try to spur a conversation among all these kind of um, explorations about what shared ownership could look like, what community ownership, what communities looking for, you know, some way of sharing ownership and governance could, um, you know, could turn to. Mm. And is the, um, I mean, we're based in the UK and there's a very active cooperative, uh, you know, I mean, business uh, in 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 a, in a in a literal sense, but also movement in terms of smaller organisations yeah. behind it. And is that universal in terms of that? You know, if we've evolved our what is community to sort of what is a cooperative, you know, does that translate globally in terms of its values and its approach? Well, that's a, an important question. Uh, it really it it means many different things in different contexts. So. Um, you know, in, even in in the U.S. here, for instance, if you ask somebody in a city of what's a cooperative, they might think of like uh, a cooperative grocery store, like the Park Slope Food Co-op in Brooklyn. If you ask someone in a rural area, they probably wouldn't say that. They'd talk about, you know, the the large agricultural co-op that's been around a hundred years, providing them their fertilizer and stuff, and that you know they don't feel a whole lot of power, and it's a you know, very old and kind of traditional organization. Um, and and then there are cases, you know, like, I mean, the it, you know, you mentioned the case of, of Britain, where you have, you know, a, a kind of vibrant tradition through, for instance, the kind of grocery store network, uh, the co-op, um, and its other products. But then you also have a legacy where cooperatives were used as a form of colonialism in places like Kenya and in India, um, where cooperatives were, you know, for a long time white only and you know work a kind of mode of of oppression actually and so in some cases you know that cooperative movement is very inspiring and exciting for people in some cases you know it is um it, you know it's it's a it's a very mixed legacy um or worse so um again uh uh, you know, and th that'll happen anytime you try to imagine that there's one solution to all of our problems. Yeah. Um, you know, the cooperative movement certainly isn't that; it's one tool. Um, and and you know, I think we're at a moment where um, where the the time is right for rather than doubling down on one particular solution to every problem, rather the it, it's a moment where we need to be um, broadening our uh, sense of the range of possibilities. And it's really exciting to see how that's happening, uh, that people are, are are trying to do a lot of the things that, for instance, like the best parts of the cooperative movement have tried to do, um, mm -hmm. but they're using all kinds of different tools to do it. Yeah, no, and agreed. And even in your report, you're, you're recognizing, you know, time of, uh, you know, great concern or great famine or, you know, great change. That really instigates some of these, you know, behavioral shifts, and and maybe we, you know, just as a a bit of an introduction to exit to community specifically, you know, you could give a quick introduction on you know, exactly what the, um, I think so much an outcome. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit more of a journey, um, if I may, um, but yeah, I, th I think that'll be great for for anybody who hasn't read it yet. Yeah, journey is a great word, or a story, or a mythology, right? Sure. Um, you know. The word exit um, 
Yeah, if you're a normal person, you know, you think of an exit as like a sign in a building for, you know, when there's a fire, right? But um, but for people in startup, in startups, exit has a very specific meaning. And this phrase is really not designed to speak to the whole universe. It's designed to speak to the weird set of people who are in startups and for whom exit means the whole thing that a startup is for. Right. Uh, a startup is a temporary organization. That's why, like, you know, Silicon Valley people love to go to Burning Man, you know, build a whole festival and take it down and uh, 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 in the space of however many days. And um, uh, and the same with the startups. You build a startup and the whole point of the thing is to is to get rid of it, to sell it to uh, a, um, uh, a bigger company for an acquisition or uh, an IPO on public markets. And in both cases, you're essentially transforming the thing it was when it was a startup into something else. And in both those cases, um, you're selling it to investors. You know, you're, you're turning the thing into a speculative asset based on, you know, how much a market will pay for it. Um, and often if you're building a startup that has a community, something you think of as a community, that community becomes a product in that exit process. And that's often a moment of betrayal when when the company in one form or another um, will depart from its commitment to the community and and um, really kind of show its true colors and show that all along it has been building for, you know, to turn this community into a commodity for the for the investment markets. Now, exit to community proposes, what if we had a third option? What if the goal for a successful startup was for you to become community owned? That community, rather than being a means to another end, became the destination um, for the thing you're building. And, you know, that could look like, okay, maybe community members are buying the thing from the founders. Um, maybe they're making lots of money through the company and they are able to do that. Maybe it's, you know, something where it's being bought for them or on their behalf. Um, maybe it's something where you actually just transition to distribute power. So what was once centralized now just becomes passed out to the peripheries. Um, it could be something where you, you know, transfer control of the system from a, a company to a token. Um, it could be something where, you know, you, you do a crowdfunding round in order to, you know, equity crowdfunding, bring on your community as owners in order to solve a problem, to come over a, a hump. Um, and there are examples of all of these uh, kinds of things, which are all pretty different if you looked at them in isolation. But the idea with Exit to Community is to bring this kind of this kind of cluster of experiments going on right now into conversation with each other and to be able to recognize each other as as being doing as doing something in common. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, it resonates deeply with a lot of what we're you know trying to build here at Protein, but also a number of other DAOs and, and Web3 communities. And did that, yeah, I guess, sort of arrival, if again, if that's the right word of Web3, yeah, influence your thinking here? Or, you know, I guess of which came first? So I, I've been um, right about the time that I started getting deep into the cooperative movement. I was also following, you know, the early rumblings of Web3. So early 2014, um, you know, I just finished, you know, I'd been wrapping up work on, you know, on the 2011 protest movements like Occupy Wall Street and so forth. And um, and I was looking for where that kind of democratic impulse was going next. And, um, and you know, right, right after the Ethereum white paper came out, uh, a friend of mine said, you know, who who's involved in that community said, you've really got to pay attention to this new thing that just came up. And so um, I've been following it for a long time, you know, interviewed Vitalik Buterin in 2014 before I could get any, like at the time as a reporter trying to, I couldn't get any magazines or anything to care about this stuff. Um, and, but that possibility of DAOs and um, these kind of internet born organizations um, was just thrilling to me. Um, but in the, in the meantime, you know, it's been a bunch of years of, of building up that possibility. You know, there were a lot of years between, you know, uh, uh, Vitalik talking about DAOs at the 2014 January um, Bitcoin conference in Miami to um, uh, people actually 
doing these things in a way that, um, you know, that worked for, you know, someone who wasn't a total geek. And, um, and so, you know, the exit to community idea really, to me, came out of other stuff. It was, it was um, uh, experiments with trust structures. I was really most motivated, actually, by the legacy of someone named Louis Kelso, who was a, a lawyer who was trained here at the University of Colorado, went on to invent what we call in the United States the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP, which is the most powerful structure for enabling conversions to employee ownership in the uh, kind of older economy generally. Um, and, it, you know, he was a th you know, really brilliant thinker about how to enable um, community ownership transitions at a large scale. So I was really motivated more by that kind of old legacy, you know, writings of his from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. That's what I had been immersing myself in when I was, when I was developing these ideas. Um, the blockchain stuff was always in the back of my mind in our initial paper, um, you know, law review on this stuff. You know, the the blockchain use case was kind of the last of three. Um, but but what has been kind of surprising and, and thrilling to me is to see the way in which, um, you know, a, as this idea came out, you know, the world was more ready um, for doing this with tokens. Um, Vitalik himself, for instance, started talking about exit to community as you know, as a kind of natural logic for for um, you know Ethereum and other blockchain projects, and and um, you know so many others have been just like ready to take up these tools to figure out community ownership. And it, you know, in some cases, I I worry about that because you know sometimes the you know the the meaning of community in crypto is not really something I you know get super excited about. Things like you know just getting a bunch of people together to like be upset the price of a token um, that to me does not feel like community <laughs> that, that you know that feels like coordinated speculation um, but but at the same time there certainly are a lot of really exciting um, you know I would say genuine communities out there that are you know using these tools to you know to supercharge their kind of shared ownership and governance and you know it's it's just a really exciting time in part because of these technologies yeah and I think sort of weaving in the um, Vitalik, I guess, response to your crypto economies uh, at a limit, uh, as a limitation of governance piece, um, which is a good read, <laughs> both of them, yours and his his response. Um, yeah, I would love to sort of touch on, you know, I mean, we're getting to sort of the weeds here of the, the mechanics of, you know, of governance of, yes, it's great in theory. And yes, your mission is is you know has has meaning um but actually coordination you know remuneration uh, you know the, the the stakeholder management piece of these organizations you know, it, it 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 has the same frictions as as you know as, as, as any group of people um so yeah we'd love to maybe sort of talk a bit more about that that piece um uh, the limitation on governance uh, and also i guess your views on sort of vitalik's response to it yeah i mean that that really kind of touches on what i was just describing which is like you know for this very fuzzy term community okay now that we're doing this stuff now that you know the the rubber's hitting the road what what do we really want to mean by community here what do we um, you know, what is this, what are we veer, veering toward? And um, this paper emerged out of, you know, first of all, a, a, an anxiety and critique that um, a lot of things that were being called, you know, exit to community, you know, having this feeling of a term that one coined, you know, getting applied to things that really did not feel, you know, like something I was excited to to, to back. Um, and, 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 you know, I tried to distill what is it that is driving me nuts here. And the thing that I kind of put my finger on was the use of economics as the mode of designing community, right? The idea that that the new language of community making was solely this crypto economic, you know, logic that that, you know, the community is built out of like economic incentives based on self-interested actors. Right. And that feels to me like a kind of icky community, right? A kind of um, 
a very limited set of tools to be building things for all the wonder and splendor that is like the the human person, right? And um, it just it, and 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 at the same time, I was seeing the ways in which you know crypto projects and and uh, networks were actually encountering problems by relying so much on these economic incentives alone. You know, plutocracy. You know, the power of the of wealth just you know over and over kind of reared its head. Um, you see um, uh, ways in which. Uh, uh, People are just kind of turning into these weird crypto robots, you know, because they're focused on the price changes all the time and and not the other stuff that um, that community might entail. Um, and so I, I wrote this as a critique of that kind of design practice um, that focus on economics uh, above all else. Um, and in the process of writing it and and talking to a bunch of kind of leading people in in, um, you know, in crypto today, um, I. I started realizing, and and even into like some early drafts where people started pushing back against how I was characterizing what they're doing, realizing more and more that people in some ways have kind of already been realizing this, even if they're not putting words on it. And there's a lot of, uh, of creativity right now in trying to develop strategies for designing communities that are not just kind of economic. And even one that looks like it's all built around a token maybe has mechanisms that are enabling, you know, what I call something more like politics, you know, where people are able to um, debate and decide on, you know, their understanding of the common good rather than just their own understanding of, you know, of of how they can make token go up. And um, that's, you know, it, it, it's an exciting discovery to to realize, hey, wait a second, I don't, in some ways, like, you know, I do I really need to make this critique? You know, people are already doing it. But again, I think it is um, really valuable to kind of put a name on it and 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 you know and help people see. Oh, actually, there is this this kind of nascent move happening already, where people are recognizing like the early approaches are are limited, and we need you know new new we need to get more creative. And you know, and 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 the creativity to me is just is. Is thrilling. There's this is one of the few spaces right now in, you know, in the world that I know of where we're not just trying to defend old institutions, but people are really trying to creatively imagine, you know, what kinds of processes, practices, cultures um, would make us feel, you know, like like our institutions are accountable to us. And so you see new voting mechanisms and new kinds of. Uh, uh, habits and rituals emerging in DAOs all the time, uh, and and that kind of froth, um, you know, I think reflects this kind of this kind of un, you know uh, 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 this kind of human creativity that again is just not limited by our particular economic incentives, um, but has much more uh, a, a much broader range of interests and needs. Yeah, and any uh, examples of you know, those communities or those DAOs that you've seen that are really challenging the, that model? Yeah, you know, one example in the in the paper uh, that I am, have been really fascinated by is a DAO called OneHive, started by, you know, a bunch of people built, you know, especially kind of tied with Aragon and, you know, building DAO infrastructure in, in Ethereum. And um, it's, it's on XDAI, um, but it's um, a community that basically exists to kind of Develop DAO tooling and experiments, and you know you look at their at their websites, and it's like full of you know token stuff and like financial. It looks like you're showing up at a slightly prettier you know um, uh, uh, Bloomberg terminal. You know it's got you know all <laughs> kinds of financial mechanisms in front of you. And so I was reading this and saying, okay, this is a community that's like totally fixated on its economic logic. This is, and, and it, you know, they use a tool called SourceCred where it's tracking everything going on and people in the Discord and, and GitHub and wherever um, discourse and, and, you know, spitting out tokens and response and, you know, in, in so every, every kind of interaction is in some way tokenized. Um, I thought, wow, this is like economic dystopia, right? And then, um, you know, I essentially write that and people from that community are like, whoa, 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 wait a second. 
Um, that's actually not how we feel about this community. You know, like we, through our actions and our behaviors, like, and our, our way of talking to each other, that's not actually how we think. We're not obsessed with, you know, the token price today. We're, we're builders, you know, we're, we're, we're a kind of community of craft. And then, you know, they point out features of the community that I hadn't really grasped fully. Like one, one example I think is very powerful is that, um, is that, uh, among all of these kind of crypto economic forces in the middle of them is this covenant that's like written in natural language that says these are the values that we hold this is our what we're all about and if something happens in the community that violates that covenant you know there's a there's a court system for adjudicating that um and so at the center of all this crypto economics is actually a set of human values and and you know and that once that you know once I kind of woke up to that realizing okay they've actually built you know in some ways you know re kind of invented a, a strategy for um, you know a, a, that that kind of old dream of of liberal democracy of like okay let's have an economy but let's make sure it's accountable to some kind of democracy let's make sure it's accountable to some you know baseline sense of what human needs need to be and. Um, and that that was, you know, one of those recognitions of like, whoa, actually, this very thing I'm calling for, people are actually doing it. Um, another community I've been I've been more closely involved with, um, founded here out of Colorado, is called Gitcoin. You know, it's a important um, uh, system in the Ethereum ecosystem that mm-hmm. um, you know pays developers for building stuff and all about public goods. And, um, you know, I, I kind of accompanied the founder, um, Kevin Iwaki, um, in trying to figure out what his options were. Uh, you know, he really took very seriously the possibility of doing a cooperative. Um, but for various reasons, it just didn't map. You know, it just didn't quite work out. We have done DAO cooperatives here in Colorado, like East Denver, the conference in February, you know, is tokenized as a cooperative. Um, Opolis, number of others, Song a Day Man, great musician, is a Colorado token DAO cooperative. Um, but it didn't work for Gitcoin, but they did, you know, do a token launch, distributing tokens to their users, and you know, are in the process of decentralizing and tokenizing what was before a, a, t- a company without a coin, you know, even though it was called Gitcoin, it didn't they didn't do an ICO or anything. And so, you know, in, in many respects, it's kind of a classic exit to community. They couldn't necessarily draw on the, you know, a, a, a fixed model like a cooperative, um, but they, as they go, are kind of reinventing what um, what the right kind of shared ownership is for them. Yeah, no, big fans of Gitcoin. Um, uh, Artem's got a question here, if we're talking about examples. Um, asking if you could speak a little about MetaGov DAO and the MetaGov gateway. Yeah, so um, uh, a few different things there. So MetaGov, uh, the MetaGovernance project at MetaGov.org is, um, has been just this incredibly um, nourishing community for me. Um, uh, I uh, kind of got connected with um, some of those folks. When I first, I, I wrote an article a couple of years ago um, on this idea called um, that I call implicit feudalism, where I just kind of started to realize through my own organizing in the cooperative community how like terrible, how incredibly hard it is to build democratic practices in virtually any tech platform that we're used to. Like I was working in an email list, simple old email list, but same thing goes for you know Facebook groups, you know Discord, um, lots of other spaces. Um, the design of our, as with the metaphor of the server in Discord, um, the the design uh, of so much of our social technology has been built on this idea of like the absolute control of the system administrator, and um, and and as a result, it has produced this pattern of practice and and. Um, habit that I call implicit feudalism. You know, we don't might not necessarily be, you know, feudalist philosophically, but our practices in relying on admins and moderators as the sole and ultimate source of power um, is this incredibly feudalistic logic. And um, 
and so I became, you know, after spending a, you know, a bunch of months like diagnosing the problem historically, where did this come from? How did this arise? Um, I got interested in, okay, what, what could be done? What, how could we enable, you know, I'm thinking of cooperatives at this point, like how can we make it easier for people to like do democratic governance in their online cooperatives? Um, and so the Medigov community, um, you know, I, I, uh, 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 it was forming it initially, initially been kind of spurred by Lawrence Lessig, the founder of Creative Commons, um, a grad student of his, uh, Joshua Tan really took up the banner, Primavera de Filippi, great blockchain, you know, thinker, uh, theorist is involved. And, um, uh, and, and I realized, oh, here is a group of researchers who like are actually trying to solve this problem. I'd just been obsessed with diagnosing. And, um, and so we've put together a kind of research and uh, network. We have um, uh, uh, seminars. We were doing it every week for, during the pen, during the kind of lockdown. Now we're more like every other week. Um, uh, we just have lots of conversations about uh, about governance and then um, online governance in particular. And then we uh, started building software through these conversations. And now we've you know raised about half a million dollars to build uh, uh, tools, particularly around this idea of the, the Medigov gateway, um, which is a, a tool um, that enables people to connect different platforms they're working on. So for instance, um, you know, one connection I'm, I'm helping to implement right now is one where, you know, you're in a Slack group and you, you make a decision in Slack, you, it is a Slack bot that helps you vote and whatever, and maybe you're voting to release funds over an open collective. So it enables kind of DAO-like behaviors to occur whether or not you're in like a crypto context. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, trying to make kind of community governance a kind of primitive, a kind of available tool in any kind of digital space. Um, another, you know, other projects I, I've been involved in developing at, at uh, Medigov are like community rule, a uh, kind of web app for designing governance practices. Um, uh, uh, see, um, Gov, uh, GovBase, which is a database of governance practices, a bunch of other stuff that um, that folks in the community have been developing. And then Medigov DAO is, you know, our new experiment in building just a kind of research DAO. Um, uh, and it was spurred by, you know, uh, tokens that we received through a Gitcoin grant. Um, and so now, you know, actually just this week, we, you know, announced a call for proposals um, in our community uh, for, for, you know, funding projects through this DAO. But, you know, it's my first actual DAO, you know, founding experience after, after um, studying them for a long time. And, and it's a lot of fun, but not sure where that's gonna, where that's gonna lead next. How does that feel practicing what you preach? I, I always try to do it, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> in, in co-op context, you know, as I was, um, you know, writing about these things and organizing conferences, you know, I just can't help starting to get in, involved. I, I, I've, I think by the end of, you know, within a few months, I'll, I'll have a few DAOs under my belt because uh, <laughs> conversations are starting all sorts of ways. And, you know, you got to, in this kind of context, you can't sit around and theorize about these things. You have to like, screw around and try to make things work and it's in those details that you recognize what's really going on yeah for sure and that comes back to i mean whichever <clears throat> you know analogy or subculture or movement from diy to punk to you know just getting involved right that's always the best way of learning is doing um there's a, a great question here from low media um who's asking about uh, specifically around DAOs and and growth and how you could look at it organically, uh, but still have that element of, you know, speed uh, and direction. So this isn't your sort of VC exit, you know, Silicon Valley, um, I guess, sort of ambition, but, you know, still having a, a trajectory that's exciting and, you know, and, and you know, people, people can get behind. And we talk a lot about growth and protein around good growth and sustainable growth and, you know, giving that level of meaning to, or more importantly, the impact, uh, as well as the meaning to wh why you're growing, as well as what you're growing. Um, so, yeah, it would be great to just hear your thoughts or even sort of recommendations on on best approaches for 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 yeah for something like that. Yeah, no, growth is such a, it's such a 
you know, fascinating word, you know, it's like community and, and, but unfortunately, I think startup land, you know, the land of that word exit I talked about earlier, um, has a, really impoverished our sense of what growth um, can mean. And, um, and, the, you know, what that meaning is, you know, think of, for instance, you know, I assigned my students to read like Paul Graham of Why, Why Combinator's essay, Startups Equals Growth, right? And he has a very specific understanding of what that means um, because he's looking at it as an investor and has a particular kind of investment strategy that where risk is paid for by massive um, uh, expansion of size and, and scale um, of a certain kind, you know, where you are able to, you know, as another venture capitalist puts it, eat the world. You know, you're, the job of software startups is to eat the world. Um, that is not the only way you, you can do growth. And um, and I I hope that DAOs and and crypto and so forth create an opening for us to question those narratives, and again just to to consider you know offline cases you know I've been doing a case study in the last last year or so um, with Julia uh, Martins Rodriguez, brilliant um, Brazilian uh, legal scholar, on um, a, a co-op network here in Colorado uh, called it emerged out of a company called Namaste Solar. Uh, which is a worker-owned solar installer, and um, they, uh, we, you know, we look at the ways in which they actually defined their own understanding of of what growth looks like. So, uh, at one point, the companies tried to scale nationally and realized this is really screwing up everything. Like we're a worker co-op, our strength is our ability to have strong relationships with each other. Um, you know, we have about a you know Dunbar's number. You know, in their case, about 150 people. Um, in the co-op and and actually, you know, mo expanding nationally, they needed to do it somehow to get economies of scale, but it didn't work. So what they ended up doing was retreating back to Colorado as their worker co-op, but then they started a purchasing co-op. This is like four employees, but they are purchasing huge numbers of solar panels for, for um, solar installers all over the country, small businesses. So a very, very lean business that is has transformed the pricing structure for small um, solar installers in the United States and North America um, uh, for for those members. And then they they've started some other things. They started a credit union. Um, they created an investment fund. None of these is like looks huge on its own, um, but together they have created an ecosystem that has been able to not eat the solar industry, um, the way Solar City, um, the Musk-backed, you know, um, chain is trying to do, they are trying to eat up that market for themselves. Instead, this cooperative network has scaled by actually supporting and enabling local businesses to be more healthy, to be more sustainable. And so they spread out the value of their growth out to the peripheries. So they're not accumulating lots of power and wealth centrally, they're spreading it out among the members. And I think we have to have theories, understandings of growth and stories of growth, as you all put it so well, um, that include those kinds of stories where you're actually growing by by spreading the power and the wealth out to the peripheries rather than centralizing it. That's a growth very much antithetical to the Paul Graham theory of, of growth when he says startups equal growth. But you know, to me, that's a growth more worth aspiring toward. And, um, and, and it's just a recognition that, that we need to have a much more um, wide-ranging understanding of what growth can look like if, if, in fact, growth is what we want. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, <laughs> resonate deeply with all of that, Nathan. Um, yeah, a key part of, well, what, why we are here and in this Discord with this community is, is really asking that question. And... Uh, you know, what does that look like? You know, what does this new model of growth, uh, you know, how does that manifest? Um, and, and us in our own small way, you know, what can we you know, do to contribute to that? So no, we, we, yeah, d deeply resonates um, and, and really good to hear. And, and why one of the questions that, I mean, there's loads of questions, <laughs> I'm just conscious of time. Um, I guess sort of one of the analogies um, that we've been looking or challenging uh, is, you know, the world of, you know, B Corps, um, triple bottom lines, you know, ESGs, 
uh, as you know these impact frameworks and these uh you know mechanics to actually gauge uh you know success in whichever way we're defining success um but yeah it would be just good to great get it would be great to get your thoughts on you know those sort of more web two traditional frameworks and and more specifically how they are how they are more most effectively applied you know, in in a, in a web three context yeah i mean there there are efforts around the you know they're so contextualized in the logic of the corporation right sure um you know for instance b corps are are such a that you know i think of them above all as a signaling mechanism you know um that has to do with this long-standing discourse of of investor um you know of shareholder you know primacy and you know and profit maximization and it's you know it's actually not a legal requirement for companies to you know, maximize their profits and you know focus on shareholders above else. But it's very much a cultural practice. And you know, when a company becomes a B Corp, it becomes a um, you know it's a it's a way of telling everybody, hey, look, we're you know we're not following that story. And that's important. You know, that's really valuable. It's not as powerful a mechanism as you know a cooperative as you know is or that sort of thing. But it's you know it's good. Let, let's do it. We need all the signals. Um, we can get, you know, the, but a lot of it is built around the kind of the inertia of, you know, a corporate system that has been around for, you know, 150 years in, in its current form and that has, you know, accumulated a lot of habits and practices and processes um, and, and is, is fairly rigid in the context of, you know, if you're forming a company um, especially a public company, you know, you you, f you have to fit into a lot of boxes in order to function legally. There are a lot of things you've got to do. Um, and, and, and so these kinds of stories about shareholder, you know, or stakeholders and, you know, benefit and, and, and mission and triple bottom line, you know, these are attempts to kind of hack the, you know, the corporate structure into, into something a little more humane, you know, with, with web three stuff, I think we have the, opportunity you know to 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 clear the the drawing board a bit more right there's there at least at this point i, th I think this is going to change but at this point we have a pretty wide um range of uh, possibilities we can explore i mean the the possibilities clearly are are you know are only beginning to be explored about what organizations can look like and so we have the opportunity to design things that actually connect to our values that actually reflect the kinds of or institutions we we want to build and as a result i think it's 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 a reason why you don't see like you know b corps and triple bottom line and a lot of this stuff being talked about in in you know in DAOs because they're kind of like we don't need that we're not a corporation that's trying we're, that we need to hack you know we're, we're able to design this from scratch um, i do think there is you know, there is a real, real danger of replicating the worst parts of, of corporate capitalism in, in DAOs when we rely only on economic incentives. And when we, when we rebuild a system that is, that is like shareholder primacy on steroids, where all we're doing is trying to play with speculative tokens and try to, you know, make money off of them in, in short-term ways. Um, you know, so there is a profound danger in this technology um, alongside the hope um, and so I think it's all the more essential that we have people who are helping to build this new paradigm, you know, who have internalized the values of kind of human-centered organizations um, and are working to build those norms, those practices into this new economy, rather than sitting on the sidelines and waiting. Well, you know, a lot of the enthusiasts, a lot of the people most passionate about this new technology, I think have very dangerous and very scary um, worldviews that are very focused on, you know, on are more focused on the value of tokens than on, you know, the ability of human beings to live in harmony with their, with the planet. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's incredibly important that, you know, this, you know, this space, you know, has that kind of, has people building, you know, who are bringing some of those, those, those values in. Yeah. And how do you see that future playing out? I mean, obviously you can take <laughs> different positions on how optimistic, uh, you know, the future future looks, but yeah, I would love to 
just get your thoughts on sort of future of DAOs, future of Web threes. I mean, how would you define it? Influence um, on some of these legacy, uh, you know, Web two systems. Well, yeah. Again, I mean, I I think there is a, the danger has to be really has to you know we have to have a, an awareness that Web two folks often didn't have of the danger of what we're playing with here. Um, you know, I mean, Vitalik Buterin, in his first announcement of of Ethereum, you know, at the very end of his talk at, at you know, Bitcoin Miami in 2014, he ends with Skynet, you know, but this like robot system in, in the Terminator movies that tries to exterminate humanity. And, you know, it's a bit of a joke, but, you know, when you build protocols, this is, you know, goes back to some early media theory in the, in the 90s and early 2000s like protocols are even more dangerous than platforms. Despite all the talk about decentralization, protocols centralize power more than anything uh, that we've seen. And so just as the decentralized you know, protocol of the World Wide Web gave rise to the most centralized corporations the world has ever seen, like Amazon and Facebook and so forth, um, Tencent, and um, you know, the, the technology of, you know, of, of, crypto protocols um, runs the the risk and and presents the possibility of um, more profound um, power being leveraged in our daily lives than we have ever seen more profound power over our economies um, could lurk in this kind of in these kinds of tools and so you know we have to recognize we are not entering just a, a world of unicorns and rainbows you know we are entering um, an extremely dangerous set of possibilities. Um, and, and you know, when you think of the way in which the stock market, you know, is unable to see that it is destroying the planet, right? That the companies that whose value on it, you know, it, it's this financial robot that is that is destroying the ability of human beings to live on planet Earth. Um, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, what crypto threatens to bring is like stock markets into every aspect of our lives where we're no longer, you know, able to make obvious, you know, decisions about the common good because we are so um, caught up in these robotic financial systems that are kind of out of our control. Um, at the same time, you know, these tools can build wonderful things, but we do need to enter into them with that that sense of tragedy, that sense of the you know the profound danger that we're facing at the same time yeah with great power comes great responsibility um yeah and no, i i feel you on that and i think as we are so early in this new uh, you know dawn um <laughs> before skynet switches on uh yeah there's obviously excitement and you know naivety and you know all the foundational I guess, sort of exercises that are, you know, are currently underway. Um, so maybe sort of within that lens or viewpoint of maybe sort of a near future rather than a far future, is there anything, I guess, sort of outside of what we've already talked about that you're like super excited about from, you know, whether it's a technology or an, or an organization or, or an individual? Well, I, I think that the promise here is is treating democracy as a design space, right? Again, um, you know, the, the, we're in a moment where, you know, democracy, the old democratic systems around the world are crumbling and falling to authoritarians. And the best response that a lot of our legacy systems are offering is let's defend these broken 18th century systems that don't work, right? Defend democracy, right? Is the kind of rallying cry. Um, you know, and, and the Web3 universe is one space. Um, you know, another space I've been following and really trying to learn from is, you know, people are trying to find alternatives to policing and, and transformative justice. You know, it's a very different kind of world, you know, in crew and, and demographic often than in crypto. Um, but equally, these are both spaces where people are not just trying to defend broken institutions, but are actually asking themselves, no, what are the institutions we really want? And let's start doing them now. Um, and and um, that that part of um, of this kind of Web3 world is what is what's thrilling to me. It's that world in which, you know, people are are if a voting system doesn't work in their DAO, they just invent a new one that sol helps solve the problem that they're trying to figure out how to solve. Um, 
if they're, you know, if, if, if some kind of, uh, you know, that realizing there is a kind of information asymmetry, let's redesign the system to, to, to solve for that, to, you know, to help that information flow the way it needs to flow. Um, that kind of creativity, that, that generativity, um, that recognition that um, this is a design space is, um, is so thrilling to me. And I just hope that we extend that creativity, not just to um, kind of economic tweaks based on the assumption that human beings are, you know, selfish, you know, uh, uh, utility maximizers, but also uh, uh, recognize that this is a, a democratic design space uh, designed for uh, people who are complex and diverse and have lots of interests, not just their own, you know, financial well-being, but also, you know, their concern for the planet, their concern for each other, um, you know, their concern for art and culture and all these things. And, you know, to the extent that we can hold that image of the of a human being as something that is is beautiful and dignified and complex and something we can never quite understand, you know, I think that's where the where where the the beauty is here. If you know, if we're designing solely for human beings that are this tiny slice of ourselves uh, that is trying to maximize financial um, uh, acquisition, you know, we're we're headed to a very dark place. Yeah, no, hundred percent on that. Hundred percent agree. Um, just conscious of time, a few few minutes left. Just wanted to quickly touch on some of your, I guess, sort of personal background in terms of your location <laughs> and you know just trying to get a read on some of the early influences that have shaped some of this thinking um so you know just curious to know sort of wh where you grew up um uh, you know and, and sort of, as i said just trying to get a gauge on on on, on what that sort of childhood nathan sort of <laughs> looked like um in terms of your your outlook on the world then you know versus now yeah, I, I mean, I think of uh, growing up like I was in. I grew up in Virginia, outside of DC. You know, um, you know, seeing the the big, you know, halls of government all the time. My my parents met working for the government. I so I have a lot of respect for bureaucrats. You know, I was raised by by very good bureaucrats, um, and, and you know, it always, you know, and and, and I. Um, so wait, so was there, was there, was there a governance vote depending on sort of where you went on holiday? Like, how was that, <laughs> no, how no, was that no. put to practice? No, just the sense that I, I think part of it is, is, you know, there's a lot of like shade thrown on bureaucrats in the, in the tech world. And, um, and what I, the, the version I saw, you know, surrounded by people doing this kind of stuff was people with deep expertise who, who had a, a deep sense of service, you know? And and that sense of service, I think, is often forgotten in the tech world um, when people see, you know, so-called bureaucracy as kind of friction. Um, and and you you know get again the subway. It's this kind of depressing thing in DC. The subway is very quiet, and it's all these people who are, you know, just you know have this kind of devotion to this work that they never get any credit for. And um, and you know, the, the, there's there's dark sides to that, but but there's also this sense of you know actually. Um, you know, a, a power of that sense of duty, that sense of, of service that we lose when we, um, you know, when we look only at this kind of self, you know, the, this utility maximizing stuff. But, you know, an, another part of, of my early experience that was around this governance stuff was I went to a high school. I, I really hated. I was not a big school person. I, I, I didn't really like school for most of my childhood. And um, I wasn't that, you know, into it. Yeah, it just wasn't working for me. And then I, I got into this kind of magnet school as part of the public system there um, in Virginia that actually enabled, you know, it was one of these experimental things. And we had a weekly meeting where the decisions of the, of the uh, school were made. And that just was like totally transformative for me. Was It was the first time somebody was like, no, actually, you know, you are a democratic subject. You have you can do stuff. And I, I was asked to like chair a committee that had parents and teachers on it to change our admissions policy, which we achieved. Sorry, Nathan, how, how, how old were you when you were chairing that? Uh, like 17, 16, 17. Okay. But you know, it, the more I think about it, the more like the motivation for me in, in doing this work on governance is to give more people that experience of someone 
uh, of a system, of a process, of a culture telling them, no, you you actually do have the the tools and the wisdom and the capacity with others to to make great decisions and do great things together. Um, having that early experience, I think, gave me a kind of outsized faith in the in the possibilities of democracy compared to a lot of people around me. And you know, I just kind of keep, uh, you know, I hold that 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 desire to help, you know, share that that gift that was given to me. Did you make any bad decisions? Bad, de- of course. I mean, personally, <laughs> of course, and and. Uh, collectively, I mean, one thing that one great disappointment of that time was I I rewrote all the 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 the, the version of the Roberts Rules of Order that we used in that in that um, in that assembly, and uh, it didn't get passed. I spent so much time; it was so beautifully formatted, all of these <laughs> things. Um, but um, I, I, you know, it was my my first experience with some of the, like sometimes you know the frustrations that emerge when you're doing things uh, uh, with with other people. You know that just kind of scratches the surface, but um, uh, but you know it, it's not again to say it's unicorns and rainbows, but it's it's a um, uh, but it but still that having you know somebody say and treat it as normal and not make a big deal of it that um, you know you are a citizen, you know you are yeah. a, a a a a person who who can have power and can share power. Um, that is a, you know, it's a gift that that we have, so many of us, I think, have not really experienced that our online systems don't give us um, in ways that we don't often appreciate or notice. Mm. I mean, yeah, you have a voice, right? That's uh, that's where it all starts. Um, and power. Yeah. I mean, voice, we often have voice, you know, in our, in our online communities, we can we can, you know, cancel each other. We can, we can send messages viral, you know, make messages go viral. We can complain a lot on, and we do. Um, but, you know, in all that, I think often the excesses of what, you know, for instance, comes to be called cancel culture is part of, is, is kind of a result of the fact that we don't have, you know, actual power, you know, um, we, we don't, that voice, you know, is, is not accompanied by, um, you know, capacity. Yeah. No, I agree. Just conscious of time. Um, Nathan, this has been phenomenal. Uh, just a couple of final questions. Uh, first one, what's the best way of someone contacting you if they want to follow up on any, uh, any questions or, um, yeah, any comments? Oh yeah, sure. I'm super, uh, searchable. So, uh, you know, my email addresses are all over the internet for better or worse. So <laughs> feel free to, uh, to take advantage of that. Okay. So email I'm, you is, is, is the all right, cool. <laughs> Um, and then final question, is there anybody you'd like to hear from on the show? Yeah, I, so, so one group that, that um, you know, I don't know if you've, you've had them before, um, but there's, there's this um, network around this uh, a newsletter called Reboot that I'm really excited about. Um, it's, it, you know, it's a group of people, Jasmine's son is the founder, um, and um, they're uh, people who have, you know, who I share a lot of political commitments with, um, you know, around solidarity and, and, you know, progressive politics and so forth. Um, but one thing I really appreciate is they are kind of unapologetic uh, about a techno optimism, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, a lot of times on the, on the left, it's easier to, to say no to something than to enable new possibilities. And this is a, um, a, a community that is really, um, is really taking a different turn and is is trying to you know encourage a culture of building and making and 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 hope about what we can accomplish uh, together with with the right set of values and you know they're super young and creative and and um, you know I think really important voices to be hearing uh, at a moment where you know too too often like the the people with the right moral compass in my view are the ones who are saying no to everything mm-hmm. um, and. You know, and I and I think we need more. We need more things that we can say yes to, and and you know, more people you know, willing to to find that yes. Yeah, no, for sure. Nathan, thank you so much. Um, for those uh, still listening, please show some love for Nathan in the chat. Um, yeah, this has been phenomenal, and you're resonating again <laughs> so deeply with a lot of what we've been doing. Uh, and it's yeah, it's been phenomenal to yeah, well, to have you here today, but also understand and hear a little bit you know behind some of this thinking um which we'll we're certainly going to dig even even further into so 
Thanks again for coming. Oh, um, yeah, thank you all so much. Thanks for all the chat and all the questions. Really appreciate it.